Hey, it's Shan here. This week, I have a long conversation with friend and past guest, Mr. Jarrett Wilbraham. Jarrett is back on the show. You can check out our first episode. I think it was back in episode 179 from memory. But um, yeah, Jarrett and I, you know, since that first episode, we've become quite good friends, I'd say. You know, we really connected. Uh, We just see the world in a very similar perspective. And we're also from the same town originally. And we just really connected. Um, There's something about Jarrett that, you know, I can't quite put my finger on. He's kind of got this X factor about him. Uh, He's a deeply sort of sensitive human. He's a seeker. He wants to learn in everything he does. And he's... um, He's deeply empathetic, you know, he's really considerate of other people, especially like his loved ones, his friends and his family, you know, he always wants to, you know, make sure that everyone's looked after, he, you know, definitely worries about other people and he talks about that in this week's episode. Jared is another interesting paradox because he's a professional MMA fighter and the Jared that you meet you know, in everyday life is this kind, sensitive, deep, empathetic human. But then he gets in the ring and he's ferocious, like a savage. And uh, he recently had a title fight down in Melbourne uh, under a promotion called Hex. It was an Australian featherweight title, which he lost. However, he really did win the fight. He dominated the fight. I think he knocked the guy down, the other guy down, five or six times. But when you watch Jarrett fight, you know you're watching something special, something different. He brings this energy that is just so engaging. I mean, whether you're into the sport or not, his whole personality is just on show. He just fights with complete abandon, like almost, you know, almost reckless abandon. Like, to the point where he is just going for it. And, you know, the reason he lost the fight is because he, you know, made a fundamental mistake. Uh, He was taken to the ground and he he did what they call giving up his back, which meant the other guy was able to get on his back and effectively choke him out from behind. And just to give you an indication of, you know, Jarrett's determination he refused to tap out and he went limp you know the guy choked him out like literally um and you know it was just a it was a mistake a fundamental mistake but you know if the fight actually finished that round and it went to the full fight and I mean Jarrett definitely had won the fight on points but it was a good lesson for him and he's so humble in in his lessons and he's really taken it on you know he he definitely has that dream, you know, that dream he wants to go on to bigger and better things, you know, for MMA fighters, the UFC is kind of like the ultimate, the ultimate end goal and, you know, that fight that he had recently, whether, you know, you watch UFC or not, and I do watch a fair bit of UFC these days, I've become, I guess, like a bit of a quiet fanatic of the sport, uh, that fight was as good and as exciting as anything I've ever seen in the UFC and, you know, they're calling Jarrett's recent fight, you know, one of the fights of the year in Australia, that's for sure. And I'm going to say maybe the world. It was just that intense. And and full credit to his opponent who, you know, was able to withstand some of the shots that he took and, uh, you know, tough enough to endure that and ultimately get the win. So, 
Yeah. We go on a few different rabbit holes this week. You know, Jarrett is another person who's very open about his use of psychedelics, especially as an elite athlete. You know, he talks about how he always likes to um, have a psychedelic trip, you know, leading up to uh, a big fight. He says that it gets him in the right mindset. Uh, He learns something every time he does it. He, you know... He's really doesn't care. He's really open about it. He he's not scared of ridicule or judgment. There, we also talk about how he has been training with Alexander Volkanovsky. He was one of Alex's training partners leading up to UFC 284, uh, which was a huge event for UFC, especially Australian MMA professional fighters. So you know he trains with him on a daily basis. Um, you know honing his skills and learning, and we talk about that journey. But you know overall, it's just a it's a long, casual conversation. It was so great to catch up with him, and I hope you enjoy it. And um, if you're enjoying the podcast too, you can subscribe on Buzzsprout subscriptions and pay what you feel that the podcast is worth to you, or don't do that. Maybe just follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and um, it'd be really helpful if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, it's kind of helpful in terms of spreading the the podcast and getting a you know further reach so i can get these messages across to people anyway enjoy my chat with mr jarrett wilbraham everybody terrible happy talks terrible happy talks Yes, Jared Wilbraham. Oh, man. How are you, bro? I'm good, brother. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, uh, I'm i just so stoked to talk to you, man. I, uh, I'm a big fan. You know that. Oh, man. I'm a big fan of you. You're a good friend of mine, and I'm a big fan of the podcast, <laughs> and here I am back on it again. So, legend. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, man. Do you think men need a violent outlet? Maybe not all men, but I would definitely say the majority of men need some sort of violent outlet. Like my take on it is we're from we're hunter and gatherers. Being taken out of our environment, put in this concrete jungle, and now we're trying to find our way through this you know, we're lost in a maze. That's how it feels, hey. It does. I mean, I have friends that are so stressed out and if you look at their life they have everything they need, but they're still not happy. Yeah. Do you know anyone like that? Of course. Most people we know. I mean, I'm like, I'd be like that if I wasn't doing this sport. This sport's my outlet. It's become my life and I need it. It's my medicine. It is, isn't it? I, I can tell that about you. When I was watching your fight online down in Melbourne in February, when you were fighting for the Hex title, when you fight, there's an X factor there that says this guy's fighting for his life. Would that be a fair assumption? That's what it is for me now. You know, I, I came to a big realisation like two fight camps ago, just before we uh, – so just after we had our first podcast, I went and fought for the Wollongong War title. And I think when I went into that fight, it was like my mentality had shifted and my mentality had changed. And I would say that's because of, like, we talked about on the last one too, 
working with psychedelics and a realization that I had through doing that. Um, I just had a, a chip on my shoulder now, I guess, when I fight. It's like these people are trying to take away my life, like everything from me. I've given so many years to this sport. My brothers are both buying houses. Everyone walking around me, my friends have families and everything that they want. And I just feel that these people that I'm fighting now are just trying to take that from me. Is that a pressure that you're putting on yourself or you're getting externally? I think it's the reality of it actually is that. Right. I'm going on 30 years old now. Do you think that's too old to fight still? It's not too old, but how long can I keep doing this for? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I've got goals. Like, I know know I'm going to get there. I mean, I'm always... Yeah, I know I'm going to get there, but it's just a long road, you know, and I'm fighting hard for it now. It's like every fight, I look at it like it could be my last. Like, I'm all in. I know. You are all in, and you fight like you're all in. And I've said this to a few people uh, since that fight, and a friend of mine, Simon Wills, who's been on the podcast, he actually flew down from uh, Sydney to, to Melbourne to watch a fight. There is something so uh, engaging about the way you enter the ring and the way you conduct yourself in the ring. It's as exciting as any UFC fight I've ever seen. Do you hear that a lot? Oh, I know that. I wish that that fight was on the UFC because I would have got a 50K bonus, no doubt, for that. (laughs) But, yeah, it was was a hell of a fight. Like, it was one of the best fights I've ever seen. I don't usually speak you know highly of myself in any ways but it was a good fight oh man i mean uh, is it getting called the fight of the year in australia i think it's got to be up there for a fight of the year and you know like mm. i feel i made it that way i feel and it's the harsh reality of the sport is that you can beat the living life out of somebody for more than half the fight and then get taken on the ground choked out wake up in the morning, you're unscathed, and you're a loser. Like, what other sport can do that? I mean, how do you deal with that mentally, like, post-fight? You know, what was the mentality the next day? I don't – I don't let things upset me anymore. I really don't. I think I'm pretty stoic now. As soon as I lost, I was just like, fuck, what can I do? I know I made mistakes. That's the frustrating thing is I had him hurt and it's like there was a drop of blood in the water and I just knew that I was one punch from getting him out of there and I just started winding up on big shots and it was just off those mistakes that I would get caught with big hits. But that's the frustrating thing is that everybody remembers the first round too. After my corner, after Joe and Colby really sat me there for a minute and said, mate, calm the hell down. All you got to do is just touch him. You know, you're going to get him out of there. Just be patient. I really came out and fought a really good second round. And that's how I need to fight. And I think everybody remembers that first round because it was one of the most chaotic rounds ever. It was so wild, dude. It was wild. Yeah. And I was actually going to ask you that. Like, what was your corner saying to you after that first round? Yeah, patient. Be patient. Calm down. Pick your shots. 
like yeah i was just fired up you know like yeah i was i was wound up i i from the get-go i wanted to put it on him and you know it was intense when we were in there i think that's what people don't really understand is there's there's a whole um situation going on between him and i when he walks in i was just really staring at him like keeping the eye contact because i didn't have that in some of my earlier fights and then when somebody did it to me i was like oh why are they looking at me like that and i'm like well i'm in a fight like why does it matter how they're looking at me so i go into the fight prepared for it now and i'm ready to fight like so we're engaging in this stare and he didn't really want to engage in it i could see but i just kept locking eyes with him and letting him know you're in for a hell of a fight and then you know that would keep carrying on between the rounds so after the round i'd look at him again you know and see how he's doing mentally and um I think he tried to touch gloves with me at the end of the first round and I just kind of, it was too late for me to turn and touch gloves with him, but I just kept walking off and I'm like, we're not, you know, we're not done yet. And then I think that's what really frustrated him was that I felt him break. I felt him look at me like, please, like stop hurting me. Like I want this to be over kind of thing. And when he got finally got me down and he got the choke and locked it in, um, and I knew that I wasn't getting out, I, I was just like, well, I'm not going to tap. You can put me to sleep. So when he put me out and the ref tried to pull him off, he just wouldn't let go because I think that was a frustration of him, you know, wanting me to tap and be like, you win, but I wouldn't give him that. So there's a whole other dy dynamic that's going on in there that people on the outside of the cage don't see. Yeah. I can imagine they're not face to face with him like you are. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty intimate in a way. You leave the fight, you spend just fifteen minutes in there with somebody, and you know everything about them. Like you know how far they'll stretch, like how um, you know how game they are, how tough they are, how much drive they have, like a lot of things. And yeah, he he was tough. He, I'll give that to him. He was. Yeah, he's jaw, man. I can't believe he took all those shots, but yeah, also like I would have put him away. I mean, I think, did you knock him down twice in the first round? I had him, like, real wobbled, like wob yeah. wobbling on his leg and kind of just standing still, just trying to get his bearings back. So I think that was probably three times in the first round and then another three times in the second round but i hit him with that spin and back kick that knocked him down yeah hey that was so entertaining dude yeah. so entertaining he held you too long though when he choked you out he did yeah i don't really care about that it's a fight <laughs> yeah People make what they want of it but i think he needed to do that you know did he, did he mention anything to you after the fight about that? Oh, um, so sorry. I don't think I even knew knew about it because I was like out. So <laughs> I kind of seen seen it when I left. I'm like, oh, geez, he hung on to that for a long time. Hmm. It he hurt my neck pretty bad though. Yeah, and it's, how's that feeling? Is it okay? Oh yeah, it's it's been it is what it is. I should get scans on it, but I just don't want to know. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. And you've had a really big year because prior to that fight, you're in your own training camp. You're also in the UFC 284 uh, training camp for with Alexander Volkanovsky. And also, you know, Jamie Malarkey was training with you as well. And who else came down? Who was in that fight camp with you? Craig Jones. Yeah, Craig Jones, Frank Hickman, Brad Riddell. Brad Riddell, yeah. Yeah, he was the guys. What did you learn from that experience being around, you know, in that environment? A lot. And if you watch the fight, uh, I used a lot of the stuff that we worked you know, when you see how Alex got back up off the ground with Islam and then you watch how I got back up, it was very similar. So if it wasn't for his um, training camp, I feel that maybe I wouldn't have even got up off the ground. Who knows? Yeah, it's interesting. And it's, you know, it's one of those things, you know, as a, as a casual, you know, viewer on the lounge, you know, I'm just like, why are you giving up your back? You know, <laughs> but it was, it was just so fast paced. Can can you recall the moment where you realised you you did give up your back and there was uh, you know less opportunity of escaping? Yeah, so he had me in full mount and he was heavy. Like I don't think I'll ever fight someone that heavy again. He would have been 77, 78 kilos, and I don't even know how that's possible, but he was heavy. Um, <laughs> when he had me in full mount, he wasn't really trying to posture up and punch. He kind of just was keeping the pressure on my head so I couldn't really move, and I was just locking him down. And to be honest, I probably should have stayed there and just waited it out, but I knew that there was a whole round to go and I kind of had to get up because if it went to who knows how the judges were scoring it. Um, so I started to elbow escape and he, like I, my corner was telling me elbow escape, elbow escape. So I started to elbow escape, but he knew where I was going. Usually what I'll do is I'll give my back half or half give up my back. And then as they go to take it, I'll spin back out but he was really um, onto it. He ended up catching me in the gift wrap, triangling his legs. And it was very awkward, the position that he had me on. I was kind of on my side. So because I was on that angle when he went to choke me, I couldn't hand fight because of the awkward angle that I was kind of folded on this arm. And I couldn't really reach over the top with my other arm. So he just got under my chin. Yeah, I knew it wasn't good. He was a black belt and a heavy black belt. And yeah. Mm. It, was, yeah. <laughs> it is what it is, and I'm sorry to make you relive that, but it is interesting to hear it straight from, you know, your your mouth directly. I know you've probably talked about it a lot yeah. since then, but in terms of your next step, I noticed you've just been uh, put on the card for another promotion down in Melbourne in May. Is that correct? Yeah, on the same promotion on Hex, they just released that, that tonight. So fighting yeah. a guy from New Zealand, international opponent. And yeah, he's a good, he's good kickboxer, good striker. I think it's a hell of a matchup. That's why I was pretty excited for it. Wow, man. And like, how are you feeling about it in terms of your fitness? Like, you haven't stopped training, correct? 
No, I just continue to keep training. Um, fitness just builds each camp. I just get fitter and fitter each time. So, I, and this will be the first three round fight that I've had in, you know, a long time. Like two round, uh, my last two fights were five round fights. Mm. So, if that was the pace in my last one that I was pushing for five rounds, like you can imagine how fast and hard I can go for three. Yeah, dude. Oh man, I love it. Yeah, it's anyway. I want to go. I want to go back. You mentioned psychedelics. Look, it comes up all the time on the podcast with just you and other ones. And my last guest was a real advocate for them. And I actually just watched a podcast with neuroscientist Andrew Huberman, who was on the Tim Ferriss podcast. And you know, his credibility and reputation and career is at stake when he talks about. Uh, these plant medicines and he's now openly come out and said you know i i think they're a safe thing to do yeah. under the right under the right circumstances he really has put himself out there which is really big and yeah. these are the people i listen to you know i don't listen to the i don't listen to the mainstream media i listen to experts such as him you know but you you sort of are so this is a long-winded question but you mentioned it on the last podcast and you've mentioned it again. Would you mind just relaying like your last experience with it and why you felt the need or desire to, you know, put yourself under those circumstances again? I take it every single camp. Yeah. Like I take it just very close to my fight. Um, because for some reason, I don't really understand it. It's almost like I can't really even explain it. But the way that I learn in my martial arts journey, the lessons that I learn in that are kind of like the exact same lessons that I learn in my life at the same time. So even when I go through losses in fights, they're opportunities for me to make changes and learn and grow. And I realize that when I lose in fights like that last one, I didn't have a good balance. There was no balance between being calm and aggressive. It was just fully aggression. And I really did realize after that fight that my life's been lacking balance in every area. And that's something that I would take into my next trip and an intention that I'll set that I'll then fix that problem and make sure that it doesn't come out in every area of my life, including my fight. But I've, you know, I've learned a lot and in the last camp I really did learn a lot at the same time. Uh, it was funny because it was explaining that I had to just stay at him, stay on him in this fight. Like if I just stayed on him, he would eventually start to break and I was just picturing while I was in this trip like a honey badger, like I had to be like a honey badger. <laughs> and in the fight the commentator said, oh, Jarrett's like a bloody honey badger. <laughs> I was like... What are the chances of that? Um, it's just things like that. But the the previous one before that, when I realized a lot about my life was deep and I realized that I had been uh, weak as a person, even though that I didn't think that I was anymore. And that's what psychedelics continue to do, I think, is shatter your ego so you believe that you are this person and I believe that I'm a man and I believe that I'm a good person and that my life, you know, my house is tidy in a metaphorical sense. And then when I take 
these psychedelics, it kind of shatters that reality and says, well, no, that couldn't be further from the truth. Look at all these areas of your life that you can do better in. You've been lying to yourself, and now here it is. You're at a crossroads, and you, you can't get away from the reality anymore. How are you going to deal with it? And it's hard, and it's painful, and it scares me, man. Honestly, Shan, like, I'm scared to take psychedelics way more than I am to walk in and fight somebody in a cage. Way more scared. I hate it. I honestly hate it. But when I see what it keeps doing for my life, who am I to not take this substance if it's benefiting the people in my life? I think that's selfish of me to not do that. So I feel that I'm called to and that it's something that I need to do. Have they said that, the people in your life, that it has improved? Yeah. Yeah. Um, such, such as your um, My parents know about it. They can only see the changes that it's done. Um, I don't think they necessarily agree with the idea of it, but they know that I'm a very um, mature person that can make the right decisions in my life and – I'm somebody that they come to with their problems and that's something that also came up in my last trip is because I've been, I've had a really sore neck and I get like a um, tight jaw and I get all these problems and I realised that what it was wasn't from my training or anything like that that I've been believing it to be. It's from all this tension and stress that I've held from since my childhood and my parents' divorce. I felt like I was a part of that divorce where I was involved in it. I knew what was going on. When I was at my dad's, I was, you know, seeing him go through what he was going through. And when I was at mom's, I was seeing the pain that she was going through. So I was that person that was there trying to help both of them and make things better and also look after my brothers so that they weren't going through, you know, negative emotions. And I put all of that on my shoulders and I couldn't carry, like I've carried the weight my whole life and sometimes I just can't carry it anymore. And I think that's when I go distant and I become a weak person. And I don't realize that I go distant, but I call it selfish. I become selfish. And then I'm just not there for, you know, my family as much as I should be. And that's when I realize it's not selfish. It's just I step away because my brain is the glue that holds everyone together and it has to be healthy because if it's not healthy, then I feel like everything falls apart. So, I'll distance myself and when I took the last psychedelic, the last trip, I cried and like let all of that out and then I was, I, I realised and I said to Michaela, my partner who was there with me, I said, it's all right now, like I'm ready to carry more like load, like I'm ready to deal with more shit, like I'm so, I didn't say to everyone but I'm like, I want to say to everyone in my life, like I'm sorry, I haven't been there because I haven't been able to carry all the stress but now I've released a lot of it and I can bear to carry a lot more now wow man how, how old were you when they divorced like six, and, Five or six. All the, and all these years later you still feel a sense of responsibility to carry the burden of that separation well not really I think it's just when you when you when you are in a role in your family or 
in any sort of group, you kind of just slip into that role and that's just where you become. So as the years go on, you try to – well, you, people don't put you in that role, but you you keep yourself in that role. You make sure that you're the person that's going around and making sure that everyone's all right. And, you know, sometimes you do put yourself last in a way and it's, like, stressful, like – going through fight camps and like I just worry about everybody like my friends my family like my mum's just had a big operation my dad's gone through a divorce and I want to be there for them and they know that I want to be there for them but even my dad like he doesn't put it like all the stress on me he I can see him go distant because he he knows the stress that I'm already under and that doesn't make me feel good when I know that he's going through a stressful time and because of my life circumstances, I can't quite be there for him. But once I released that, you know, that load that I'd been carrying, I feel like I can go through a fight camp and I can go through the stress and I can still be there to help him out. Yeah, but it's interesting to hear this. To me, you sound like a complete empath. So you really do feel what other people feel, especially when it comes to your family. Do you think that when you fall into that role, it gives you a sense of purpose? I wish things were all good. I wish that, okay. you know, like I wish that I didn't, and I don't, like I don't have to feel that role. But, yeah, I guess I just have to because I always kind of have. I always want to be that person that, you know, people can lean on when they're going through tough times. I think as we get older, like, life doesn't get any easier. Everyone's expecting that they're going to do this or do that when things are better. But, you know, like, you want to know the big mystery of life is that things aren't probably aren't going to get better. So just be content with what you have now because you don't know if it could get better or worse. Who, who do you lean on? Oh, my partner, Michaela, like, she's literally, like, my carer. <laughs> she does everything for me, honestly. Your what? Your what? Your carer. What? <laughs> carer. That's what you said. She's like your cow. I was like, dude. <laughs> she's, like a, she's like a carer. But, and I've, she's so, and she's, like, one of the most caring uh, selfless people I think I've ever met as well. Mm. And that's why I'm really drawn to you guys. And I like a lot of people are because then there's this man of violence, you know, controlled violence, obviously. And that's why I wanted to ask you that first question is like, do you think that men need violence? And I'm changing. I think men do. I think men should have permission to be violent, you know, in, in a controlled you know, way, and I think men should be allowed to be men, you know. I feel like more and more I'm just seeing a lot of men that are oppressed and that's leading to them, like you said, becoming distant, isolated, and then when people get isolated, they get weird. And then that's when they start doing weird things and then that's when they start engaging in numbing behaviours, alcohol, drugs, you know, pornography, and it just beats their spirit down. And I don't know. I, I would probably trust your opinion on that more than mine because, like, I feel that I'm just violent from life circumstances, to be honest. Like, 
I didn't really talk go too deep into it last time on the podcast, but like through my life before I even started fighting, I'd been in nearly not over, but nearly 50 fights. And that's kind of just unheard of really. And I, I didn't realize the effect that that would have on me. Well, I'm fully desensitized to violence really. Like I'm not, my first few fights when I would fight my opponents, not before fighting, before MMA, but in MMA when I'd fight my opponents, I would go home and genuinely feel bad for them. And now it's just kind of left me. I don't know. It's weird. I'm only just speaking about it truthfully, but it's just a hard thing for me to really speak about violence because it's not like I have both sides of knowing what not non-violence is. So I'm sure there's men out there that can go through life and not be violent and live good lives, but I'm not a violent person outside of fighting, which is really strange. Like anyone would probably think that I am, but who knows? Like if I wasn't fighting, I used to be a really big risk taker. So like I would drink and do stupid things like stupid and some things were like borderline, like you could die if you could, you could live or you could die. Oh, oh, well, let's do it. I'd like the adrenaline rush. And like, you know, my brothers are a bit like that too. Probably not Corey, my youngest one, but Blake's wild. Like he'll do stupid stuff if you tell him to do it. And I think that that's what they call now toxic masculinity. And they really don't like it when, you know, where they're drinking and, not me anymore, but we're whipping each other with charger cords. And, you know, if you walked into the room, you'd be like, why are they doing it? Like, why are these guys acting like absolute idiots? But it's like, that's just their little release. Let them do that and then go back to work and live their lives. Exactly. But also give them an outlet. I mean, that's that's the outlet that they, they look for when they don't have uh, a more healthy outlet, you know. And I remember in our last episode, you actually said to me, you feel safer in an octagon than than you do anywhere else because you know all those street fights you had were so wild and dangerous and, and caused so much trauma. You said you actually feel peaceful when you go into the octagon. Is that right? Yeah, I don't get nervous for the violent side of it. I will. Um, I want to win. I really want to win, and that's what means a lot to me. But I really don't care what happens to me once I'm in there. And, yeah, I've been in situations where it's out of my control. When I'm surrounded by multiple people, I've had my head stomped into the ground and I, like, literally have been in positions where I thought I was going to die. And I I think if I didn't get up and run away that I would have probably been killed. And when you go through stuff like that, you can't look at an MMA fight anymore and think that it's dangerous. It's weird. I just can't. Well, it's controlled, it's regulated, there's a referee there, you've trained, you know. you got a mouse guard in, you're only fighting one person, the guy's got yeah. gloves on, he, the referee's going to pull him off you after the fight ends or he's going to try anyway. I love that. You're only fighting one person, like, yeah, sweet, it's easy. This is easy, it's not like eight dudes trying to stop on the right, Exactly. You know, you remind me of Justin Gaethje just then, I watched, you know, all these press leading up to UFC 286 and then post-fight press conference as well. So He's so stoic. And he's also made some comments about how he just 
he feels no. He goes, I don't feel anything in there. I'm not excited. You know, I'm just in there to get the job done, and I, I, I'm free of nerves. And he goes, it's weird. And uh, you sort of said the same thing. And as a as an outsider, it's really hard to understand. Actually, I don't think I many imagine. people are like that, though. If you're in fighters, I don't think many fighters are like that. I've been in a lot of dressing rooms with a lot of people over the years. Mm-hmm. You don't see many calm people going out to fight. Okay. Okay. But you're saying that you have to work hard to get yourself into that that balance of calm and aggression, yeah? Yeah, especially even in the last one walking out, I'm like, hype up, man, like, you're in fight. It was nearly 12 o'clock at night, so it's the latest that I've ever walked out to fight before. I'm drinking Red Bulls at 11.30 or so. Why? Just to kind of stay awake, and I just wasn't really um, hyped up. But once I got in there, I felt in my zone. I really did. I felt in the zone, and once the fight started and I took the first punch on him, I just knew that I had him in the stand-up and it was like I kind of went into a flow state and then I and then I heard him and then it just went crazy you know yeah from again from the lounge you know the best place on earth to be when there's a fight on (laughs) you know I was watching it's like you rocked him and I'm like oh that's it he's got him in the bag and you know, I guess when you rocked him a few times, you must have been like, okay, I've got this in the bag. Did you just feel a sense of ease after that? Like, okay, and you went into cruise control? Well, I wobbled him the first time. I caught him with a check hook when he came in and his legs wobbled a bit. And then I, I was like, all right, let's see if you come forward. And he kept coming forward because he wanted to get one back on me. And that's when I counted him with like a right short right hook and really wobbled in and everything just went like in the kill mode because I'm like you're one shot from ending this fight right now that belt's yours all you've got to do is just go up and take it and I went up and just started winding up on these massive right hooks or I don't even know what they are you can't even I don't even throw that in the gym or anywhere it's just an aggressive punch and I hit him with one and I went back to throw the exact same punch which I know not to do and he just caught me in between and I went down and like I went like as I tried to put my hand down my arm gave way and I like flexed over the back of my arm and then I ate like probably 15 like little punches getting back up and went back to the center and my legs were still wobbling and I thought okay let's see how long it takes for me to feel better at featherweight because at bantamweight I've been hit and not come good and off small little hits this was a big shot and I came good my legs came back and I'm like oh I'm ready to go and then I just started throwing crazy again (laughs) from a political perspective you know, every, a lot of people were talking about that fight. Uh, I've spoke to random people who were talking about that fight as well. It was so exciting, especially if you're a fight fan. Uh, what kind of, you know, people are coming at you? What kind of promises are getting made to you, you know, you know, after the fight? Are you getting approached by, you know, people wanting to talk to you about, you know, where they could, you know, how they could help you get to the next level and things like that? 
Uh, I know that like Joe and at Freestyle, we're all working on a plan to go to that next level. Um, I think if I won that fight, I would have been in conversation for a UFC contract. Uh, Khan, who won the fight, he's calling for the UFC contract, but I don't think that it's, it's going to, that's why it's going to go on ESPN and obviously the UFC matchmakers are going to watch it. And then I think when they watch it, they're going to just see me putting on a show and then him choking me out at the end and probably won't want any of us, you know? <laughs> so I think that I need to get back in the win column. I can't just come off a loss and be like, I put on a good fight. Give me a UFC contract. Like yeah. I tried that after my fight, I put up the highlights and kind of said, I'm an entertaining fighter. I always look to finish. Um, I'd love a shot on like Dana white contender series. At least they know it's going to be a good fight, but I don't know how to even really get in contact with them. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you have moments where it feels like an impossible dream. And I've been talking to another friend who's chasing a, a, a very difficult dream. I won't go into it. But I just think you have to keep going. It's just you'll, you'll know when it's the right time to stop. Uh, You'd know it's like, podcasting, right? Oh, man, it's, uh, yeah, I get disheartened all the time. There's so many good podcasts out there now, and everyone's got one. And I often, you know, do question why I do it as well. But I feel like deep down I know that I just have to keep going for now. And, and I think you get the signs when it's time to stop. I really do believe that, you know, something like it'll be an easy decision when it's time to stop. And I actually heard that quote once, like if, if, if a decision is really difficult, well, then it's the wrong decision, you know, and I really do believe that. Yeah. Like so. yeah. Oh, bro. I, um, I've got a few other questions for you. I don't want to talk all about fighting. I want to just recap a little bit, your lifestyle uh, for those that might've missed our first episode. You live in a van, dude. Let's talk about van life. I know everyone asks you this question, but is it still a novelty or are you over it? I don't want to be in a van anymore, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a love-hate thing. Right? Is it? I, can't. I would love to have a house, man. I'm at the point now when I see people walking down the street or like driving their nice cars with their kids going back to their white picket house and I look at them and I'm like fuck you man <laughs> not really but I'm like I, I wish I had that how do you feel about a mortgage no I don't like the sound of a mortgage but I, I guess it's just the uncertainty of like where am I gonna what's my future what, what will my future look like I don't know uh, you, maybe you tell me like what does it look like for me to pursue this um, career into my 30s on living from each fight is I live off the fight purse that I get so barely anything I drag it out and make it you know make ends meet and then I arrive at the end and there's nothing what do I do from there <laughs> I'm, you're, you're asking the wrong person because I'm going to say you just keep going all in fuck it like you I'm the wrong person because I'm at the other end of it. I mean, I, I chase the house, houses, you know, cars, things like that. 
And I've, I have. I've lost it all, if I'm straight. And I, I am actually happy that I've ever been. A lot of stress comes with those things. And when I did have them, my first, you know, feeling was that I wanted to move overseas. So it's like um, the grass is always greener, in my opinion. And I just feel like, you know, you're such a – you're learning these technical skills of fighting, you know. You do, you do it better than most. But the soft skills that you're learning that you can't really measure, those, you know, the skills of, like, discipline and being regimented and, um, you know, communicating with media like you're doing right now, uh, then also your, you know, your promotion, your personal management and dealing with a variety of key stakeholders. I mean, these are soft skills that are transferable into anything else you do afterwards. And I believe that you look after your body. I mean, you, I think you can go to your late 30s or 40s. I mean, what about, um, who was the guy, uh, Teixeira? What's his first name? Glover. Glover Teixeira is 43. Yeah. You know, Wonder Boy's 40. You know, Wonder Boy's 40. Yeah, how crazy. Yeah, but I think their products are good living. So I'm coming from a surf background. I'm looking at Kelly Slater. He's 51. And he's still on the world tour. You know, give me a break. Like this, I think the concept of age has changed a lot. People are starting to realise that they can hack their way into longer careers. You know, it, it's I think you're doing it. Yeah, but it's it's just frustrating when like. I watch all the NRL players playing on the weekend and I'm sure they're all getting a good wage and a good salary and us MMA fighters put in, like, so much time. I'd say we're training a lot more than what those guys are and we're making nothing. It's just the hard thing is the sport's still so new. One day you'll be in my position and you'll be getting paid really good to do what I'm doing, but at the moment it's just like if you want to do it, that's on you. Yes. Do you, I mean, do you feel like fighting owes you something? Um, you know, I, f- I feel like fighting is just something that I put everything into that has so much to give but just isn't willing to let go of it yet, you know? Yeah. I, I don't – I'm not um, – like not, nobody owes me anything. Nothing owes me anything. Everything I do is my own choice. It's just – the, the process is frustrating and hard. Like, I'm not going to lie. It is seriously frustrating and hard. And then you're living in a society that has all these expectations of you. And, you know, like, I care about what Michaela, like, what her parents would probably think too. Like, what am I doing? You know, like, to, to them, what am I doing? But to me, they it means you. everything. But they love you for the man you are. Yeah, that's They're true. Same, and, you know, my parents same. just want me to keep going. And like, yeah, and and I just think, you know, you said it's hard and it's difficult and it's so much time, but like, isn't it beautiful, bro? It is. And the other guy on the podcast, he was a few episodes after me. I can't remember his name. He was a writer. Um, he was overseas and he actually mentioned me and he said, that guy that's living in his van and pursuing that dream, um, with his goal to get into the UFC, what he doesn't know is, like, he's living the life right now, you know? And I am. I truly am. But I guess it's just other people's expectations now that we speak about it that it just puts the pressure on me. And society's expectations, we are constantly told that we need to consume. Mm -hmm. 
We, we are, and and it's not. It doesn't work. It's miserable. Um, I've got a really good friend of mine who lives in California. He's friends with you know Hollywood actors. He's a he's a um, you know aspiring actor himself. He's with these people who have millions of followers on their social media, and he's giving me this in, insight into how they really are. You know, I won't mention. I can't mention their names, but miserable. Yeah, money, money. Money, 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 and also exposure. He's also friends with some famous TikTokers, which I didn't even know was a, a legit thing. Like 16-year-olds he knows with millions of followers just said miserable beyond words, stuff medicated for anti-anxiety medication and, and stuff like that. So I think the magic is in the struggle. I believe that more than ever. Yeah. And I think enjoying that struggle and, and trusting the process is – is more important than ever. Yeah. I think, I think what you, and the reason I, I'm so drawn to you and I, I really like you and I want, is I just believe that, you know, this path of self improvement and rigorous self honesty, that that's the success in my opinion, you know, and I guess it's when you've got all these external influences and comparisons to your brother's, and your family and, and, your, and your girlfriend's parents and, and their concerns, I think, ultimately people just want you to be a good person and treat them right, you know. Yeah. That's – I don't want to sound like I'm lecturing you. <laughs> so oh, I'm, learn, like, I'm learning from you. I'm loving this chart. Yeah. You're 100% right. I think yeah. it would just ease – I think it would just make everything a little bit easy if I knew that I just had, like, some sort of – income coming in because I want to give this everything and I, I don't want to be going back to laying bricks while I'm in the middle of a, a training camp, you know, and you know what that's doing to me. It's not benefiting me at all. Yeah. That's yeah. all I just and – and I'm grinding pretty hard, like, with all the – I'm trying to get as many followers as I can on the Instagram because that converts to – people that want to like sign up to my app, but I'm being, I reckon I've put in week um, just in trying to get that app up onto the Apple store. It's been a nightmare, but it's just little roadblocks. And sometimes you're like, man, this is just the universe. But everything great requires hard work and it's always met with resistance. And it's like, yeah, it's the relationship with the universe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because I just love it. I love that you say things like that. You know, yeah. a, a, again, like you just break down the fucking stereotypes, and these these are leaders, bro. I mean, do you cop much judgment or ridicule from your teammates in regards to your openness about psychedelics? I don't really talk to people about it, to be honest. Like. It is my story and it is um, who I am and I know that it's have to be told because I do really believe that it is seriously beneficial and a lot of people kind of, uh, they come to me and they're like, wow, you've grown so much or you've changed so much as a person. It's so good to see the person that you are now and I can't just sit there and be like, oh, yeah, that's all me. I'm like, no, I had to put myself through like absolute hard experiences have taken these things for me to become like this like life i had to be scared of life and psychedelics would make sure that i was fearing it pretty hard for me to then want to change 
it's a tool. It really is. I've also met people that have taken heaps of psychedelics and I just think that they have just gone down the wrong path in a way that I don't really like the direction that they're I, – I don't know. I just think that they've used it in the wrong way. I'm glad you said that. I think yeah. that's a real key point. I mean, that's that's what's coming out of these. The the research is that it's all about set and setting. It's all about, um, you know, trying to learn from the experience that you have under it, you know, not just forgetting it straight away, you know, making sure it's significant and remembered and then put into practice. Yeah, yeah integrating it. Yeah, integrate yeah. it. And that's what you've tried to do, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, integrating it takes a long time like i only do usually only do psychedelics like twice a year and i guess the more that i'm fighting now it's like oh i'm drawn to it each time in camp it's something that it's like my little ritual that i need to do Mm. um it's never been negative for my life so i always feel that i need to do it and i feel that when i go through into a fight without it that i just don't feel right Interesting. Yeah. So interesting. The one fight that I didn't have it was like the worst performance of my life. Did you lose that fight? Yeah, against over in Perth. I lost from that eternal fight against Cody Haddon. Okay. And oh, I, yeah. I just had no direction going into that fight at all. Wow. That's what it was. It was just a fight that I just lacked direction and I lacked an idea of what I was going to do when I got in there. And it, it, but, I lacked direction in a game plan. I lacked direction in my life. I had all these different things going on in the background at, while I was going through the worst weight cut in my life, hormones out of balance. Like, it was just chaos. And it really would have been really good to just sit there and just have the, have the mushroom say, this is what you need to do, mate, just relax. But I didn't have that going into that fight. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you get external assistance through maybe a psychologist or a counsellor as well? Um, no. No. Oh, okay. I don't feel that I have, like, um, like my life's – I don't affect people negatively, I guess. Like, there's no real reason for me to go and see a psychologist or anything like that. Obviously, there's, like, the whole PTSD sort of thing. Um, honestly, I think that I can kind of keep that under wraps by just using this, but I, I would always be open to it, to going and doing that for sure. It's not something that I'm against. Yeah, I think the PTSD thing gets talked about a lot nowadays, which is great that people are discussing it. You know, those those experiences we have as a child are so uh, developmental and follow us into our adulthood, that's what's the obvious thing, you know, and which is what you talk about, you know. And uh, and then talking about how you've, you know, found an outlet and a, and a way to channel that energy, it's, it's really cool. But, you know, I really am an advocate for, you know, utilising a variety of tools, you know. Psychedelics under the right circumstances could be one tool in conjunction with a psychologist or a psychiatrist or also with medication, you know, and um, I guess I personally want to encourage people to to seek out as many different tools and find the one that worked for you. Absolutely. Which is what it sounds like you've done. You know, you found you found something that seems to be working for you. You know, and um, I think it's just really cool. And again, I'm really 
in in awe of your openness about it, especially as an elite athlete, where you know it could put you under scrutiny. Are you worried about that? I don't think that it will put me under scrutiny. Um, I know that in MMA, I know it's not illegal to do it. I know it's not against USADA. I know that it's now legal in Australia in a medical perspective. Um, I think that times are changing, you know, and if people want to scrutinise me or label me something that I'm not because I wanted to better myself in my life, well, like, look, I'm off the streets carrying on and drinking and, like, just taking myself out of negative situations that I used to be in. Like, I'm not that person. Um, and so not that person. No, but, like, don't say that it was the sport. I don't think that it was necessarily the sport. Um, I think that it was, honestly, it's a shift in perspective, like you're saying, people seeking out counsellor, uh, psychologists, using psychedelic. It All it does is it's a shift in a person's perspective. Yeah. Because we go stagnant in the same mindset for too long, we get stuck in holes and ruts. And as long as you can have something shift your perspective and have you start thinking in a different pattern, then you can start to make different changes in your life and from there you can better yourself. But that happens over time. It's not instant. Yes, sir. It's like I remember Nick Diaz got banned for four years for smoking weed. Yeah, that was... Back to, and now it's legal. Now it's legal. Yeah. And at the time, he got, I mean, he paid the ultimate price. Like at, during the peak of his career, you know, it's heavy. And Anderson Silva got caught that same fight with steroids, and I think Nick got suspended a lot longer than Anderson Silva. Yeah, and now it's fully legal in fully legal in California. You know. Yeah, it's it's and I guess like then maybe that's sort of the position you're in in terms of it. It's like you know, don't scrutinise me because you know you might be the, you might be coming to me for advice at some at some stage, right? If like if I could go to a psychologist who would give me psychedelics and put me through that, I hundred percent would. But I don't have yeah. access to it, so yeah. I have to kind of make these things work myself and I don't like that I would rather be like there with a sitter and someone that's trained in that area but I'm only working with what I've got you know but you are doing it in a calculated way as well like you're making sure you're you're with the right people in the right setting is that right yeah but I've made mistakes in the past where that wasn't the case have you (laughs) yeah I went out to um, a beach. I was like, all right, I'm going to go out to this beach and I'm going to trip there all day. And it's this tiny little beach out in Jervis Bay. And I get out of the car, eat a higher dose of these mushrooms, and I walk around the headland of this tiny little beach and there's no beach. The tides fully come in. So I'm like, oh, no, what am I going to do? So I walk back around to where there is a beach, and it happens to be Himes Beach, like the most populated beach in Jervis Bay. And I was just like, I should not be here. And I started to just get really um, worried and paranoid. And I think like a couple of hours might have gone by. It was kind of cold in the morning, but then it had heated up. And I'm wearing this like snow jacket 
like and I had I was wearing it and I started just sweating and I'm like man you can't even tell that you're like hot in this jacket so I started walking up the beach and there was people walking dogs and I was just like I should not be here so I ended up like running into the bush and I was (laughs) completely crying man and as I was running I was like repeating like you've been running for years you've been running for years and I ran into the bush and I'm like what have I been running from and then I realized I've been running from this person that I truly was and I was ignorant to who I thought that I was and it was the scariest trip that I ever had but it forced me to really take a good look at myself and I find that one to be the defining moment in the big change that I made as a person but running around the street not knowing where I was was not a pleasant experience and I could have jumped in my car and driven that wouldn't have been good you know like you you don't think straight when you're doing these sorts of things yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good message to put out there, Jared. You know, don't wear a ski jacket to the beach. Is the <laughs> that's your first mistake. Don't trip it on my shoes. Make sure the beach is there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's it's classic. But you know, I guess the last thing I want to say about the whole psychedelic thing is, from your experience. You said it's intense, it's hard, it, it cracks you right open. Post-experience, though, you you find the most beneficial aspect of it, correct? Yeah, like wake up the next day and it's like re, like I've been reborn. Like I'm a every, new me. It's a new Every fight. time. Yeah, clean, clean slate. Let's start again. Let's start making the right changes now let's do it right let's let go of everything that's yesterday and beyond it's that's what it's like for me it's like clean slate like stop like stop having hard feelings towards yourself about the past let's just move on that's a hard thing to do you know but in saying that with the i have met people that never have these sorts of experiences my best mate's like, man, I take mushrooms and it's just the most lovely, blissful, peaceful, like I'm in absolute bliss and serenity. And I'm like, you don't have like hard feelings, like you don't have these internal feelings coming up and you need to address them. It's like, no, I don't have any of that. And I'm like, well, maybe I just have reason. Maybe it's just my path that, you know, maybe if you've had trauma and you take mushrooms, that it's going to be hard. I think that's what it comes down to. I do know people too that uh, don't have what I have, you know. And like, I mean, alcohol was an interesting one for me because, I mean, I, I could never have one beer. It always had to be ten, and I wasn't drinking for the taste. I was like, I was drinking till my legs went numb, and I didn't know where the fuck I was. Okay, every time. Whereas. I have people and ex-girlfriends who can go and have one glass of wine with dinner and and then go, oh, I'm good, I'm good. Or or they get that feeling like they're a little bit tipsy and they're like, oh, oh, no, no, I don't need any more. I don't need any more. Whereas for me, it's like, oh, hang on, this is doing something. It's numbing me. The pain's going away. Give me more, 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 more. So, yeah, like – that's what you that, put it down to? Like you, you really look – when you look back now, you're like, man, I was just trying to escape something. Man, this is a heavy thing to say, but I feel that I've carried deep pain for a lot of my life, yeah. you know. Uh, 
And it's only now in my older years I feel like it's really subsiding, but it's been really hard and it's taken a lot of a lot of hard work. You know, for me it wasn't you know psychedelics. For me, I got the best outcomes from attending like twelve step recovery programs like AA and and going and 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 connecting with like minded people and identifying and sharing and going, holy fuck, I'm not alone in this. You know, and then it. You know, and then I realized that alcohol and, and substances weren't the problem at all. It was, I was the problem and my mental, you know, my mental health was the problem, but it wasn't my fault either. You know, it was like the things that are, that were out of my control as a child, and yeah. child, teenager, but then even in my older years, you know, I had to, had to deal with the, the passing of my father uh, last year, you know, so like you said, it's going to keep the shit's going to keep coming we have to develop tools you know uh, yeah so could you relate that same experience when you're saying you went and you know you got the help could you relate that to my experience of psychedelic but like that's a hard thing to do and an uncomfortable thing but what you gain from it's beneficial oh absolutely absolutely because and like you've said uh, numerous times i had to shed the ego yeah. You know, and I was ashamed, like, for years. I, you know, like, I, I'll go to, I've been going to AA meetings. It's embar- I was embarrassed. Um, and then the healthier I got, the, the more I don't give a fuck. You know, I'll tell everyone about it. I'm broadcasting it right now, you know, because um, it, it was something that worked for me, you know. And, I, and now I feel like I'm, you know, maybe onto another chapter and I want to find more tools. But for me personally, the biggest tool that works the best is when I try to help others or be of service to others. So it gets me out of myself, you know. Um, and, I, and I can see in you, I think, I think we're very similar in a lot of ways. We, we, we carry this sensitivity, you know, that, that, that was born from, from being, you know, hurt as young people. And then we can identify that pain very easily in other people. And then we, we get drawn to it because we want to we heal the pain in others because we indirectly are trying to probably heal the pain in ourselves. Yeah. And I think that maybe that's just an analysis of maybe that's what you try to do when you're helping your family or your other people that you friends that are in pain. You know, it's because it's almost trying to heal yourself. Yeah, or maybe because we know what it's like to feel that way, and when we don't want other people to feel that way too. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like I said, it's beautiful when I think so many people are suffering in silence. You know, it's this is a new information. You know, you just look at the global statistics on mental health. I know it's being recorded more and more, but, you know, people are suffering in silence, you know. Yeah, and that's why I feel it's my duty to speak up about these things too because, you know, it's the whole like it ain't weak to speak. To speak, you know, there's a lot of men out there that don't want to admit weakness. Um, but like, I'm a person that will walk in and bite people in cage four times a year. But like, I'll admit that I've been the weakest human ever, and and that's fine. Like, you can't get stronger unless you realise the weak points. It's like anything. Like, you can't you can't fix a weak building unless you realise where it's going to crumble and where it's weak you can't be ignorant to those sorts of facts and i think it's my duty to speak about this because you know i kind of what i do carries that 
stigma for a masculine person. But you don't I don't think I am a masculine person at all. I think I'm actually more of a feminine sort of person like Michaela's a more masculine person in our own way when you understand like energy you see you guys talked about that on the podcast didn't you <laughs> yeah I know her and Chelsea were like we feel like we're dudes you know yeah they're masculine yeah. Uh, I guess in, their own, in their own way like they're doers they make things happen I'm more of a thinker I'm more of like a creative person and I kind of sit with my feelings and I worry about other people's feelings and you know even Trophy McCarroll like we don't have time for that we just need to get to get done what needs to be done yeah and that's a good way to be in a way but um there's a balance and you need the balance, obviously. That's why yeah. you and her work so well as a team, yeah. you know. That's how um, people attract. Like when you read, do you remember that book, like Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus? <laughs> that was all about that. It was like you could have a very masculine person and they would be attracted to a very feminine person. Or you could have two people that are kind of like a balance in the middle that would be attractive to each other. But you're going to be attracted to the opposite of yourself. Yes, you are. Like we even see it like when you look at um like gay or lesbian relationships, there's always a real masculine and a real feminine sort of person because that's the attraction between each other, the energy. Yeah, exactly. It's like the yin and the yang. Yeah, it's it it really is how the universe has been formed. Like everything has its you know, an antagonist, its opposite. And yeah, it's, it's just like I think you got to we've got to go with that a lot more for sure. That's something that I'm really into is hermeti- hermeticism. I've never heard of it. Yeah, well, it's like what you're saying. There's like hermetic principles or laws. Like it comes from like Hermes, who is like an Egyptian. Uh, I'm not sure what you would even call it. Like almost like a Jesus kind of person. Cool. Like a prophet. Like a prophet. And um, there was hermetic laws. I think there's seven hermetic laws, but like one of them's polarity, which is like there's opposites. Um, another one's like balance, meaning like you have to find a balance. There's another one that's like rhythm, which can mean like life's all ups and downs and like waves. So like you go through a hard time and then it'll level out and then another hard time, and then it will level out. And if you ride the highs and you ride the lows, you're always having a hard time and then a good, really good time and a hard time. But if you understand that law, you can kind of find a way to balance yourself in between the two and don't get too carried away when things are good or when, when things are bad. And, yeah, then you don't ride the wave. You kind of just duck dive in the waves and um, not letting them knock you around. But it, another one's like the, the law of vibration, like everything's vibration. So they're saying all these principles back thousands of years ago that quantum scientists are now telling us to be true. So I really pay attention to these principles because I'm like, wow, they're, they actually are like legit. And the more that you look into them, I just I just listen and read about the principles over and over again. And, it, and then I just tend to integrate it into my life somehow. And I feel through doing that, I've been able to just flatline my life rather than go up and down and get caught up in the 
Keep it more even. Yeah, keep it more even. Yeah. Interesting. It's funny when people talk about vibrations, and because I, I really believe in you know things vibrate, people vibrate. You know, I, I feel sometimes yeah. I feel like I feel someone's energy. Yeah. And people go, oh, that's some woo woo fucking bullshit. And I'm like, like even right now, we the only reason we can communicate you know, online is because of vibrations, you know, they're everywhere around it. Yeah. <laughs> and they're utilized, you know, in, in various forms. So uh, I think these things that you're discussing, you know, this is conscious living, it's conscious thinking. I think many people are living unconsciously and it's leading to misery. But do you have a do you have a morning routine that you adhere to? Tell us about it. Um, I have this idea of a morning routine in my head that I'm like, when I hit this morning routine, my wife's going to be like up here and the resistance just, I haven't been able to battle the resistance. Like I wake up because I train so hard, I wake up and I never want to get out of bed. So I'm always like one more hour, you know. Yeah, yeah. And but I know that if I do all these things, that my life will be a lot better. I, like I'll admit it, there's things that I need to do that I'm not doing, and I'm I'm hoping that maybe through like through this camp that I can really get that um, routine because it's so important. Yeah, it is. It does help. But I'm with you. Like, it's taken me many years to find out what works. Like, for years, I used to drag my ass out of bed so early. It often would be to go surfing, regardless of the conditions. But then I'd get up and I'd do my Wim Hof breathing or stretching. And, you know, in hindsight, like, I just, I don't, I've realized I'm not really a morning person. Like, I like, my mornings need to be slow. And it's, are you, I'm delicate in the morning. That's me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit emotional. I can't talk. I feel like I've got this monkey on my back and then I need to slowly ease into the day and it just lifts and I'm okay, you know. Yeah, I don't think Michaela talks to me for the first hour that I'm away. <laughs> She's a morning person. She'll go off for a walk and I'll kind of sit there and just drink coffee and then kind of come too. Yeah. But and that's, like, that's okay. Yeah. I'm a night person. Yeah. I don't say it late, but I wish I could. <laughs> I like it when I do. Like you train what, twice a day, six days a week? Yeah, sometimes oh. three, sometimes four. So like that's I, I do oh, my own sorry. training outside of classes as well. Oh man. People don't breathe on it. Yeah. Yeah, so if you don't mind me asking though, like if we can go back to finances a little bit. Without prying too much. Obviously, you have your fight analysis uh, app, which is epic, and yeah. um, and it's like I said, you, you gained like forty thousand followers in two years or something, was it, or, or, or less, six months? I probably gained all my followers now in like yeah, a year, a year and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably yeah, a bit over a year now. So you must be doing something right, like it was successful. And I'm sure that probably brings in some income. But, you know, generally, are you really living from fight purse to fight purse? Yeah, if it wasn't for the fight purse or if it wasn't for any of the factors that bring in like a little bit of cash, um, I would have to go back to work. I'd get to the end of camp and my like my money's gone like I look in the bank and it's like so close to having nothing in there and I'm like 
<laughs> oh my god, like it's scary. And then you get paid for a fight, and you're like, yes, I made it. You know, like <laughs> I got there. Yeah, I mean the Hex promotion must love you after that last fight. Seriously, they must fucking love you. Yeah, they yeah, wanted me back on there. Were, were you able to haggle a bit more money out of them this time around? Oh, I did a little bit. Um, okay, it's just fight pay. It's n- nothing against any like what people are offering, but there's net just not no money in it in for any yeah. fighters in this country. I just really don't think that the purses are. Anything really, maybe yeah. I don't know. Like it's, I don't know. It's, it's just the way it is, you know. If I guess if you start paying more, you got to start paying everyone more, and then prices go up, and you know. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't consider like Bellator or anything like that. Um, I really want to be in the UFC because I feel that I can make really good money there. Um, yeah, I would always go and fight over in a. Uh, international yeah fight league for sure yeah I just don't want to do anything that's going to hinder my way of getting into the UFC that kind of seems to happen sometimes you know you go to Bellator and then UFC you're like oh you've picked you you've picked a side or I don't know how it works but yeah Yeah. or or you get stuck in a contract and you miss an opportunity and things like that yeah but I think you know a few more fights and I will go overseas Yes. Yeah, man. Far out. So interesting, dude. Um, I I find conversations with you different, you know, and I love it. Um, I guess you know it's it's like sort of late. And I don't want to keep you up because you've probably been training. You need need your rest. But um, oh, no, man, I'm here for the for the whole, bro. I'm loving loving having a conversation with you. It's been a while, you know. I know, dude. I love it. Yeah. Um. Well, look. I don't want to talk all about fighting, but let's give, just give me your your take on UFC 286. You know, were you glad to see Leon Edwards get up? Yeah, I am, and I um, I predicted him to win that fight, and which I thought was pretty cool because he was such an underdog. You know, to to be in that fight, but I did a breakdown of the their previous fight and then I talked about like the adjustments that each guy had to make yeah and it was really cool to then watch the fight on the weekend and then see the adjustments that those guys made and I think it was just a very good game plan um the way that Leon won that fight obviously cardio played a factor Last time he was fighting above, like, high altitude at Salt Lake City, and a lot of the fighters on that card gassed out. So I think he was a bit lot fitter this time, and, you know, he he really um, did a good job of, like, stopping Usman's takedowns. Like, Usman will either throw the right hand, step through, and shoot, or he'll throw a combination, wait for Leon to throw back so he can shoot. And Leon was timing this with the knee. So as soon as he'd seen Usman's right hand come, he'd throw that knee and catch him or he'd wait till Leon would throw back at Usman and then Usman was ready to shoot and Leon would throw that knee and it was just like beautiful to watch. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, he definitely had a more sus. There was a lot of talk about the altitude uh, in their last fight in in Utah, but um I don't know. I um I was for me personally, I I was actually more excited about the Gaethje fight. That was because the fight. Oh wow! You know that. How do I, I always mess up his last name? Raphael Fiz. Fiz. 
For Zeev, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like he's definitely someone to watch out for. He's hungry, he looks strong, he's fast, but I just feel like he got outclassed by Justin, didn't he? Yeah, he kind of, that third round got away from him. You know what's yeah. funny, though? It's like when Justin um, tried to tried to engage in the technical fight and be, like, real calculated, it started going downhill for him. And then when he went back to, like, throwing big bombs and, like, what I did wrong in my fight, it, like, worked for him when he, like, won that round. But th- th- that's you. And, you know, I wanted to say this to you at the start, but I held back. You know, from my perspective, and don't take my opinion worth a grain of salt, it's worth jack shit, I just wanted to say to you after that fight, don't change a fucking thing. Yeah. You know, like, I just felt like I was watching your whole personality fight, you know, and and I loved it, and as a fan, I was like, I want to watch it, and I actually didn't give a fuck that you got choked out and lost. I mean, I was disappointed, but I was like, fuck, to me, you still won the fight, you know, and I just, like... I don't know. Like, I know you've got to be smarter and more calculated, but it just went how it went, and it was it was brilliant. I just like saying, don't change. I think if you went to the UFC and did what you did, okay, maybe that guy got lucky this time, but you go to the UFC, everyone's going to be on weight. Everyone, It's going to be much more regulated, and, you know, maybe maybe you would have been able to wriggle out of that, you know, that sort of weird side control thing he got you in the gift wrap, which is actually, on another note, I got fucking gift wrap for the first time at Jiu-Jitsu the other night. It's fucked. Were you thinking of me when it happened? Sort of. But, you know, know the first thing I do, though, when I get into those positions, I put my fingers up around my neck. I'm like, okay. And I make sure I get his elbow under my – his fucking forearm under my neck. That's the first thing I do now, I'm like this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're right, though. Like – and that's why my first coach gave me the fight name. He called me the wild man. And for years, I've been trying to get away from that name. So I don't want to be a wild man. But then every time I fight, it's like, there it is again. Mate, it's the best expression of personality. You know, I see it with surfers, skateboarders, you know, their personality just emanates through what they're doing. And that's why everyone loves watching you, man. And that's why everyone was talking about you after that fight. I'm sorry, they were. So it's like, I just feel like from a – complete nobody's perspective i'm like don't fucking change dude get choked out you know but do what you did you know? <laughs> i'll never lose that part of me yeah uh, but he, he clipped you that first time when he knocked you down because you you were just throwing and, and rushing in you were yeah. just like you had blood and you had you could smell the blood it was it. literally the same as when cody garbrandt got knocked out by dillashaw you know how he kept loading up on that right hand it was like right hand right hand right hand and then tj yeah. caught him yeah it was like that it's exactly right it's like you might as well punch yourself in the face dude. yeah you put you put your head in front of his fist. His fist didn't find you. Oh, it battled his fist, then I went down. <laughs> you did, you know. But I mean, he had. Oh, look, he had a fucking granite jaw, dude. I, I, you know, full respect to that. Jesus, and tough to not give in like that. Like a, a lot of men would have given up after the shots that he took. Yeah, he did. So fucking full respect to him. Yeah, respect to him. Good on him. I hope he does get to where he wants to go. 
But uh, something tells me that we'll still be competing for who gets there first. Yeah, is there talk of a rematch? Well, I don't know. I think, do I deserve a rematch after that performance? Come on, man. Come I was on. asking you, I, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was the first thing the commentators said, and I'm pretty sure they said it straight after the fight. There was straight away. There's got to be a rematch, you know. But that, but I do bring a lot of like aggression into my fights, and that's the thing. Like I feel that anyone that I've fought in the past, I feel I would all I would give any of them a rematch. But then when I look back at like my fights in the past, I don't think that any of my past opponents would want to give me a rematch. Because it's not a fun time when you're in there with me. Because I'm not just like looking at like point fight and win the fight. I'm like trying to take the take the fight to them. Like the way you came out in the first round, my first my first concern was like, oh fuck, he's gonna gas out. He's gonna, you know. But then it's like then you didn't gas out. I'm like, holy fuck, who is this guy? You know. No, we don't gas out at freestyle. You don't. I've no. seen, I mean, I've I've done those lactic sessions. You know, they're, they're brutal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I knew that I could just push the pace. I'm, I'm like, if, I got, if if I'm tired, he's feeling ten times worse than me. Yeah. Yeah, true. That's how I just think of it. We just really do prepare a lot different from other gyms. I think so. Like, if you had to pick someone in the UFC top ten for – because you'd fight in featherweight, correct, or bantamweight? Feather, yeah, featherweight. featherweight. I mean, some in the top ten, who would you stylistically like to be matched up against with the current lineup? Max Holloway would be a good fight. <laughs> yeah, it would. Yeah, I reckon that would be a good fight. Bless. Yeah. Uh, the guy that I'm fighting now, is, I'm excited for it. I think it's a really good fight. I haven't because he's so similar to me. He does a lot of things that I do, and I'm like, wow, we're a very similar fighter. And I'm like, that kind of makes an interesting sort of matchup. Yeah. They gave me other names, um, other names too that I think are easier fights, but um, I can't, I just, it's so weird. I can't sit and take easy fights like if I give me a name and I start looking at the fights I'm like oh no, I don't know and then they'll send me through some guy that's like exciting I'm like yeah right, that's the fight I want so kind of I'm, I'm like working against myself in a way because sometimes they give me the fight that would be easier but I still want the harder fight even though I'm trying to get to where I'm going to be yeah and it just makes it more enjoyable is that, is that how it works? Like that they'll they'll send you to a name and you're like, okay, I'll get back to you in a few days, and you'll go and watch their tapes and stuff, and and then yeah, they just send through a couple of names, and I just say, yeah, I'll get back to you. Yeah, yeah okay, and that's pretty cool. Go and talk to the team about it, and mm-hmm. just make up our mind from there. Really, I said yes when they sent the names through. I said yes to um, all of them. Yeah, but um, yeah, I was going to kind of leave it down to my coaches and. Also, what kind of the, the direction that I was steering on it too? Yeah. Hey, what's the vibe around freestyle with the announcement of um, Alex fighting Yaya Rodriguez? Did they announce it? Yeah, that was an. I swear, uh, was it officially? I'm pretty sure it's been. I've seen the come up with yeah. it all the time. Um, and you know what? It's like I don't ask 
Alex sometimes because it's probably like inside information and I, I didn't want to put him in that like uncomfortable position and be like, so are you going to fight this guy next? And, um, but yeah, I'd say that, yeah, we'll be the next fight and I'm stoked for that matchup because I can throw like all my crazy spinning stuff and try to emulate him and I'll get better as a fighter because I'll be trying to fight, uh, exactly the same as, yeah. So well, you'll be you'll be the best you'll be the best training partner for Alex, I reckon. In regards to that, you know, long, technical. Yeah, I'm the same build, same height, same but everything. I think you and yeah. Yeah, you and yeah, yeah, Rodriguez would be a sick. Yeah, player. yeah. I like him. I really like him. Yeah, yeah. He's grown on me. I didn't like him when he. Remember when he chucked a hissy fit when he poked um, Jeremy Stevens in the eye. And yeah. it was the fight ended and people were trying to go, he's like, don't touch me. Like, he was just losing it. And I was like, bro, calm down. Like, And then now he's, yeah, he's grown on me a bit. I like him. I like him as a fighter. And he showed some heart. That fight with Max Holloway. Yes. That was um, a war. Sure. It was a war. I had, um, I'm friends with Yaya Rodriguez dietitian um ian larios who's been on the podcast yeah. and and was in the fight camp for yeah last fight against josh emmett you know and you know ian just talks speaks so highly of yeah and his his whole family and how loving and kind and, and friendly they were and you know uh, they called him up after he was the dietitian for jamal hill so he he was you know, in the Jamal Hill fight camp and then got called straight up to Yair's fight camp on a few weeks' notice. And, you know, they really took care of him, you know, for taking it on a short, uh, you know, short notice dietitian, <laughs> if that's a thing. Yeah. So after he sort of, sort of said what, he, what he's like behind the scenes, I was like, oh, cool, man. I like that guy. It here, hey. But it's going to be good to watch Alex pick him apart, you know. Yeah, it's like it's an interesting matchup. The, style, the styles of they're both very different styles, very different. They are, and it's that's what I love about our gym and the way that they problem solve. To be like, all right, this is the next guy. These are the things we need to work on. It's very interesting to see how Alex adapts and grows, and even how much he improves. Like. That last camp against Islam, like, Alex is wrestling and grappling and, like, no one will ever take Alex down or hold Alex down, ever. Like, that's never going to happen. Like, that camp, it's crazy to see somebody grow. Like, you, most fighters get to the top and, like, kind of like Holloway. Holloway's kind of been fighting the same way as he's always been yeah. for the last like, when do we ever see him come out and do, like, whoa, Holloway 2.0, he's done something different. Mm. He's kind of always been that guy. But Alex is always improving and growing and leveling up, and that's a mentality of him saying, I'm never good enough. I can always be better. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know Alex is just going to study the absolute shit out of Rodriguez if yeah. he has to fight him. And, I mean, technically, he's going to give him, a, you know, I think, a lot of challenges to overcome. But, you know, with his mentality that he will rise to those challenges and and now not only become one of the best wrestlers in the game, but also he'll become one of the most technical kickers and elbowers in the game as well, you know. Yeah, well, you've seen Alex Blast leg kicks. Like, he's probably got the best leg kicks in the whole division, maybe even the UFC. Yeah. 
So it'll be interesting. We'll see. You know, Alex understands the kicking game. So, yeah. What's it like to spar with Alex? Like on a, have you, have you, I mean, you spar with him at a more of a higher pace. Yeah. Yeah. And he starts putting, he starts putting the heat on. Yeah. You know, yeah. What, what's the first thing you notice, you know, once you're face to face with him, his reflexes. Oh, his reaction. Yeah. His timing, like every, yeah, his speed. Um, it's a lot of things, but it's mostly his eye. He's got a really good eye. So he kind of puts himself in a position where he, you can throw three things and he knows you're about to throw one of three and he's got a counter for all of them at the same time. Oh, wow. But it's always good to see, like, you, you go through rounds with him where you might have, like, a bit of success, you know. It's like you've never beaten him in rounds, but you're just having a bit of success in a certain area. Yeah. And then you go you go back one minute between rounds and the next round's just completely different. He's just analysed it and come out and just adapted. And that one thing that you might have been landing is just never going to land again. Right, okay. So he's very hard to try to like go back and like like IQ wise it's very hard to battle against him in the IQ perspective because he's just so switched on. So you'll kinda of even say to him, What do I need to do? And he'll just turn and go, You need to do this, this, this and this. He'll tell you how to how to beat him, you know, he'll let he'll tell you. And then you gotta try and do it. But he, then he's one step ahead again, you know. How much of that do you think is uh, trained and how much is it just kind of gift? I think he's really gifted in the way that he thinks. I think he's really, really, really smart guy, like very smart. The way that he understands it, if he's explaining, I think that's why I really like listening to him and learning from him and I think he really likes um, giving me everything that he can because he can tell that I'm really – like in awe of what he's saying because I like philosophy and I like martial arts and the way that he describes everything is like a complete philosophy. Yeah. He's not just showing you a move. He's like telling you, um, like he's uh, letting you know in a way that's like you can take this same thing that I'm teaching you now and you can apply it to everything. Gotcha. Concepts. He's oh, teaching okay. you concepts, you know, not just moves. So I'm just there just trying to think about what he said and then I go home and then I'm just thinking about what he's um, telling me, you know. It's like he's become such a huge part of my life because I'm always thinking about what he said to me and what he's doing and I'm always watching how he's training in the gym and I'm watching how his weights balance between his legs and everything that he does and then I'm going home and I'm trying to implement it into my own game. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I'm trying to become him in a way. Yes, dude. Man, well, let's shave your head first, grow a beard, yeah. let's go, and you can look like me as well. That's the only reason I lost, man. It's just the hair. <laughs> no way, dude. The hair's rad. I like it when you get those fight cornrows. That's what you do, right? The fight cornrows. Yeah, I've got to keep it out of my eyes. I know, it looks sick, but it's something scary about whenever I see cornrows, whether it's on a female fighter or a male fighter, there's something, there's something ominous about it. It's like, oh, fuck. That guy's going to fuck me up because he's got cornrows. I don't know. Yeah. I think. 
Mm-hmm. You've gone to that much effort to do your hair. How much effort you're going to put into this fight? <laughs> you know, I've spent a big percentage of my paycheck on these cornrows. <laughs> what? McKenna, McKenna doesn't know how to do cornrows. No, she's done them before. She did them for my Wollongong Long Wars fight. It's yeah. just good to get some, like, a professional to do them because they're so tight yeah. and, yeah. like, no strands yeah. of hair will come out. Yeah, she's too masculine to do cornrows. Yeah, just I'll, I'll maybe I'll only do cornrows and do it myself. <laughs> That's so good, dude. Yeah, it's like it's like Alex is teaching you to be like how to play chess, you know, and that's what it is. It seems it's chess. Yeah, it's chess. It's chess. chess. Are you going to play? Say he's, he, he says um, most people. Yeah, he says we're playing chess. Most people are playing checkers. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. 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 No, that's a good call. It's true. I mean, that guy's such an intelligent fighter as well. I actually um, re- reached out to him after my fight, my last fight, to mm-hmm. Izzy, and messaged yeah. him, and I just said, because I'm in such awe of how he tag somebody and they like wobble and he doesn't even just change the way he fights he just yeah. like goes back he's like I'll get him again you know and I just messaged him I'm like how do you like do that like, how do you not get carried away in the moment and get caught up in it and carry on like I did and he actually said he watched the fight live um yeah, which was cool. Said he okay. put it on the Snapchat story too. Um, okay, dude. And he just, yeah, he explained to me, he's like, if you've touched them once and wobbled them, that means you can just do it again, you know. You don't need to be winding up on these big shots. You know that you just got to pop him. Like, keep touching him, keep touching him, and eventually he'll fall. And just hearing it come, like he sent it to me in a voice message, just hearing him say that, I was just like – you're a killer, man. Like, you, the confidence you have in your abilities and just him as a person, like, yeah. him as a person is just is the most confident, like, charismatic sort of guy. And you see it when he fights, right? Like you're saying, I've said that to Mikhail. I can watch somebody fight and I'm like, I know who they are as a person just from watching them fight. Yeah. And he's just got that, like, aura about him and yeah when he just touch him and they fall so I'll, I'll implement that into my game yeah yeah and I guess like when you combine that with experience that he's got as well so like I mean he's had countless Muay Thai fights as well and yeah you know he's just maybe just further down that learning journey than you are that's maybe the only difference it's crazy because he hasn't even been doing MMA for that long yeah right like he really hasn't been doing he like I, I don't know how long he's been doing MMA it probably wouldn't be much it would be a few years longer than me but I've only been doing it for six years like he's probably only been doing it for like seven or eight years and he's a world champion he had the fastest run to the title didn't he yeah did he yeah I think yeah okay. uh, uh, I think he kind yeah. of overtook him yeah but, yeah, I think Adesanya will get that one back. Oh, I think so, for sure. I think that he's just going to stay away from that. Alex Pereira, I mean, he's that. That's the hook that kept. That's the hook that gets that got him, wasn't it? 
Yeah, so cool. he's, in, he's in a combination, but well, Adesanya moved so well laterally, and he didn't move laterally in that fight, and I was really confused because I'm like, why isn't he doing what he normally does? But I think he copped the leg kick to that perennial nerve, and, oh, yeah. and his leg wasn't like working properly so he couldn't move laterally because he would have started to stumble and fall so he had to literally stand and fight you know that monster in the pocket at his own game and still was beating him right up to the point where he got finished yeah okay there you go it's interesting but that, that thing you were talking about that Izzy said to you about just keep touching him keep touching him and stay disciplined in that. I mean, Alex does that too. I mean, he really did that to Max Holloway in Max Holloway 3 fight. You know, like he just kept chipping and chipping and just stuck to the game plan. I I thought that was one of the most measured, disciplined performances ever in the UFC, the way he picked Max Holloway apart. Incredible. You know, and he had him him bleeding all over the place, still didn't, you know, still just controlled himself, pick, pick, pick. And just completely, you know, oh, destroyed him in the end. You know, it was insane. And just the because we've fought so many times to just see how Alex just would level up each yeah. time. Crazy, hey? Yeah, it's a wild he, did. he got sport. better. It is a wild sport. You know, it's funny. I tried to watch a, watch a boxing match the other day. I'm not talking about the Tim Suva. Tim Suva. Um, I was just watching it on the UFC Fight Pass. It was like Jose Aldo was actually having a boxing match. And I just can't watch boxing anymore, dude. <laughs> like, I just yeah. I only watch I can only watch MMA. It's so funny. Neither can I. You're the same? We tuned in to watch the um, the only boxing match I watched was the bloody what's his name, Logan Paul. <laughs> <laughs> How was it? <laughs> oh no! It was like yeah, it was not that great. But it, you're just watching the names, you know, and the, all the back and forth that's been going on. You just want to see how he fights. So <laughs> I didn't yeah. watch it, but I heard it was a spectacle. Yeah, you know, like yeah, this sport is. Um, it's. I, I think boxing's a sport, like a lot more of a sport. And I think that MMA is a lot more of a fight. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think, and then I think there's so many layers to it. And then once you, for a lot of casual fans, you know, you hear them say, oh, I hate it when fights go to the ground and they're wrestling. But I think as you go on now, like when a fight goes to the ground, I'm, like, I'm more interested. Than yeah, so am I. But, you know, you can't. Listen, listen to any of those people. I I hear it all right, all the, in the comment section. I posted the breakdown or like highlights of Gaethje and Fazeev, and lots of comments on there were like boring fight, boring fight. Really? Because people weren't getting knocked down and like brain damage. They weren't interested in a in a fight. They want to see people purely getting hurt. Like, I think they're the kind of people that just sit on YouTube watching, like, street fights. Yeah. Or they're the type of people that watch Power Slap. <laughs> Don't get me started on Power Slap. Yeah, but again, I'm going to say, like, I think there's this underlying, we, we have this, uh, I mean, we have this underlying uh, need for violence. It's bizarre. Like, 
I just, I'm not saying it's a good thing, uh, but I'm just saying, like, you know, it's in our you think it's like, Do you think it's violence or do you think it's just uh, some sort of pent-up energy that is aggressive? I think, I think they want the excitement and I just think it taps into, you know, like our societies have been doing it forever. You go back to the Roman era. And they had the gladiator pit and gladiators, you know, like fighting to the death. I just, I think at the end of the day, it's a really primal urge that we have, just like the primal urge to eat, the primal urge to find shelter, the primal urge to procreate. I think it's, uh, I think it's to kill, right? To kill because we didn't eat if we didn't kill. And that's the funny thing. I talk to people that are like, I see people where you go to squash a bug and they're like, don't kill that. And I'm like, you eat chicken. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like these animals are going through abattoirs, but we're so disconnected from it that we don't realize that the the violent side of it, it's probably like, it'd be better for us to go kill that chicken ourselves. Exactly, dude. You know, I've had these debates with people before. If you eat meat, I, I almost think you have a responsibility to kill your own, kill an animal one day and eat it. Yeah. Out, of, out of respect for the animal, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just think, like, we have a primal urge to hunt, and I think this is what these sports are, are satisfying for a lot of people in a controlled way. I mean, let's face it, our society is is probably the safest and most humane it's ever been in the history of the world. You know, like, you go back to yeah. generations, like my grandparents' generations, like my grandmother, you know, my and my grandfather, both my grandfathers fought in the world wars and watched people die, you know, yeah. um, and had to, we, we were told to go and kill men. You know, <laughs> we haven't been asked to do any of those things. You know, uh, we're very, it's we're very sanitized and safe where we are now. You know, so. I think what's scaring me is the lack of discipline in some of these younger kids coming up. Like, you probably can't speak about it much, but you're a school teacher. But do you see aggression in some of these kids? Like, do you see a change in school from when you were there to now? Mate, I see a change in school from when I started teaching to now really and 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 definitely since growing up you know going to narrow high i mean that place was violent dude you know i thought it was i thought it was normal until i left you know i was like shit man that was violent but the biggest thing i'm seeing with young people more than ever is anxiety levels are through the roof you know i work at the moment in a, in a well-being space we have like what they call a well-being hub where students that are not feeling great or not coping can have a time out and just sit and hang out and I talk to them and I actually love it. But the biggest thing is their anxiety levels are through the roof and I just feel like anxiety is very much linked to suppression of, of um, emotions. It's very much linked to feelings of lack, like there's something missing in their life. And, you know, it's – and – I see a lot of medicated students now. I never seen that when I first started, you know. They come in, they have to take their medication on time. Um, 
you know, and these things have side effects for them and then they're battling, you know, prescription medication addiction for a lot of their life. It sets them on a, on a path. You know, not to say that I don't want to, like, I really don't want to discredit the use of it because I, I do respect its use and, and, and its need, but it's just an overall pattern that, that has become more predominant over the years, I'd say. I think, like, with social media too, you know, it's like you could, you're comparing yourself to others all the time. You can't not compare yourself to others. And how does a 12-year-old kid navigate through that sort of world? <laughs> hey, look, that's a question I've got for you. I mean, you've got like 50 or 60,000 followers on Instagram, for example. I mean, does that become a management, you know, managing, you probably get reached out to a lot, DMs and comments. How do you manage that? I don't, like, I haven't really been reached out to by anyone for, like, sponsorship or anything like that. I'm kind of really shocked because I reach, like, 8 million people a month on there. And somebody could tie their brand to my Instagram, to my posts, and 8 million people are going to see it. And how much would somebody pay for their for 8 million people to view their product or view their brand? Hmm. Um I just don't really, I just don't really hear from anyone. I get a lot of people reaching out, you know, they're always saying, oh, you get a million um, ones a day, people like promote your Instagram, boost your Instagram, and like it's doing yeah. fine. But yeah, I really don't get anyone really reaching out for that sort of thing. It's really strange. What about just to talk to you or maybe criticize your content? Do you get Oh, yeah, that stuff? every day, all the time. <laughs> okay. Um, How do you manage it? It doesn't really bother me. I don't really play into it a lot of the time. Sometimes I see people act so silly on there that I just um, just give them a little bit of something to roll them up and then I'm like, yeah, that's enough. Or I'll message people personally actually that are really horrible and I'll say like genuinely I'm like, hey, how are you doing? Um, i just seen that you, uh, you message on my comment section and I just thought I'd reach, you know, reach out and see how you're doing because I don't think if we were in person we wouldn't get along and I don't have anything against you um and I said I know like this the world we're in at the moment is not really nice and sometimes we express the way that we feel to get it off our chest so if you ever need to talk to somebody I'm here and when I say that probably 90% of the time the person actually says to me oh I really actually appreciate you saying that and I actually feel stupid for being that way. I'm going to go delete my comment. And then wow. I keep in contact with some of these people. I get back to everyone on there. That's one thing I always do, that get back to all the messages that people send me. It might take me a while, but I make sure that I get back to them. You're smart. Fuck you're smart. Oh, well, I think they are just expressing the way that they feel. That's how I look at it. Yeah. Some people are on there just trolling. Yes. And it's they're, they're just having a good time. They're the ones that you stir up. But so, like some people you can see genuinely like have a lot of hate in their language and no one's probably reached out to them. So Exactly. And that's exactly what it is. 
but then again, too, like they're looking like that's I, I see a negative comment as a form of violence. So they're looking for a violent outlet, dude. You know, yeah, that's but, exactly. I don't know. You should write to them and say, "Listen, let's meet up somewhere. I'm going to fuck you up, man." Oh man, plenty of that goes on in the comment section. Right? You don't say that. Yeah, no, you're too professional to say that. But like, I often think that like it must be really good for self confidence to know that you can really handle yourself. I think that's what a lot of men desire. Yeah. You know? Do you, Do you ever think of that? Like, I, I can handle myself. Yeah. Um, in public situations, social situations? I still stress out, you know, about being in public situations. Yeah. Like, we talked about that last time. Like, I don't go into town or anything like that. So I'm worried yeah. about what's going to happen. Still, you still get that. Still get it, man. I but, don't. Man. There's a very uneasy feeling about going into town in now. No way, dude. Yeah, dude. Um, Could you see yourself settling in now long term, or do you think when this is all said and done, you'll you won't go back? I'd like somewhere that, um, within reach of now, but you know, like a nice place in like Jeringong or a nice place in Kiama or something like that. You know, yeah. somewhere close that's nice. Um, South coast. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like that, but um, well, that's actually something that I was just going to say, what we just talked about previously about people hating online. When I lost my first fight, um, so I was, like, I was 5-0, and o, I think, at that point, and then I lost my first fight, I had, like, all these messages in my inbox because I didn't change my record on my bio to five and one and I had all these people reminding me to change my record like it hadn't even been 24 hours and they were like how do you change your record you're not undefeated like they all were waiting to see the result of my fight and when they seen that I'd lost they like took that opportunity to be like you lost change your record dude you know like, what that is you know what that is yeah it's hate only comes from below I know that Good one. I was gonna say yeah. it's tall, yeah, tall poppy syndrome. Yeah, tall poppy syndrome. Cut you down. And then when I won my next fight, not a single person messaged me to say, "Hey, you changed your record to six and one." <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny? You know, you know, it's funny. Ian La- again, Ian Larios. He's been working in the UFC space for years, and. You know, he was Daniel Cor- DC's di- fight dietitian and trainer. You know, he's actually trying to get the trainer of the year award in the UFC. Uh, it's really you'd love him, but he was talking about guys. You know, like I've guys I've had su- had some success as a trainer. You know, training with you know as a trainer for Jamal Hill and yeah, yeah Rodriguez recently, and he was also in the fight camp for. Oh, a bunch of people. And he goes, it's really interesting. You know, he goes, I've been to a lot of fight after parties, winning, you know, the winning after parties. He goes, but it's interesting, you know, when, when you're in the losing team and those those after parties are different. Not a lot of people show up to those. You know, you get forgotten real quick. And I was like, wow, you know, it's just a brutal a brutal sport sometimes by the sounds yeah. of it. Yeah. I've been pretty blessed. I haven't um... – good group of people that support me. So when I lost um, 
you know, my first fight, I had more people message me than when I'd won. Really? Yeah, which is very unusual. But a lot of people, like, keep your chin up, keep going. It's just a small bump in the road, you know. Yeah. But it's because you're a good person, Jarrett. Like, people, that's what I mean. Like, I think that's that's your true success already, you know. We, we keep talking about the end, this goal of the UFC contract, but I already feel like you've succeeded in a lot of ways because you're a good human. And that Thank you. And that, that's, and that speaks to people. That's why you've got so many supporters and, you know, and they're there for you for the losses. So, yeah. Also, you, bro, that's how you've created something so big, like terrible happy talks and just look at the result of it, man. Only a good person could create something so good. Well, thanks, man. You know, well, but like you, it's a very different journey. But oh, man, I carry so much self doubt, so and 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 really lack a lot of confidence with it. You know, um, and question why I'm doing it all the time. I mean, you probably have have that all as well. You know. Oh, that's that thing I was talking about. That's the resistance. That's if anyone that's doing something good is always going to be met with some sort of equal force that's telling them that they're not doing good. It's like the polarity, the opposites, you know, it's like those laws. Like there's always going to be something that drags you down. And I truly believe that like something good will happen and there will be a reason as to why it's so hard. Like my app is going to be so great, but then there's a, this hurdle in the road, which is like getting it on the on the store. It's Why? just the hugest battle, like to war that I'm at with. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it just make you jump through hoops. But I'm like, obviously, it's going to pay off because that's why it's so hard. Yeah, like not anyone can just get on there, and then that's what's going to give it the value. Yeah. Um, can you break? Can you just sort of give us a bit of a and tell everyone like what the app's about, how it functions? It, just give us a rundown of it. Yeah, it's just a app that functions. You can go on and search by like specific fighters, and you can search by specific techniques themselves. And in that, you'll click on tutorials, and then it just is like over a hundred um, tutorials explaining martial arts techniques techniques and all these uh techniques are used by ufc fighters so it's like not that i'm teaching people what i do but it's i'm teaching people what like the best guys in the world are doing yes gotcha nice man so um when it's up you know people can access it through the apple the apple store which I'm sure you'll have links to in all your platforms. Yeah, it's all on my bio. The Android one's up, but, yeah, Apple's just, yeah. they make things hard. Oh, dude, don't get, don't get me started. Yeah, that's why I actually, for me, for the space I'm in, that's why I promote Spotify a lot more. Yeah. Uh, I find Spotify just easier in, in a lot of ways. It's easier to reshare. Really I think it presents better, you know, in, in the app and stuff like that too. So yeah, it's, it's the best. And and you've also got a new YouTube channel with the fight, the fight analysis on it. Oh yeah, yeah. I've gone out on YouTube now, so I can explain things a bit longer and more in depth. So yeah, just helping out people that are coming up in mixed martial arts, or just people that are interested in understanding the sport a lot better. So just dig into some deeper techniques, and I'll just keep. Uh, releasing short five-minute videos on there and 
to see where it goes. Yes, yes, brother. Well, listen, man, it's been epic, and uh, I'm just really enjoying documenting your journey, not just professionally, but also personally. So, you. you know, I want to, you know, keep doing this over the years, man. So, you know, do a bunch of these. And uh, Thank you, man. Yeah, Thanks for giving me the opportunity. And, yeah, it's, I'm able to go back and, like, look at my life when I listen to these things. So, yeah, I just want to explain where I'm at and just be myself and just hope that people can kind of take my story and, and learn a bit from that and maybe not have to go through some of the things that I've gone through. Man, awesome. You know, awesome. And I, I know that you're someone that if people do reach out, if they're in need and they want to connect with you and, and maybe relate their experiences, you know, you said you you generally try to get back to people whenever they do that. Yeah, like please do reach out, honestly. Anyone just reach out and say that you listen to it and have a chat. Yeah, like my Instagram's J Will Chillerman, so J Will W I L C H I L L E R M A N. And yeah, we can chat on there for sure. I've met a lot of good people from your podcast because I listen to them and then I reach out to them and ah, like Simon, you know, and then Simon Wills, like he comes down to my flight. I never met the guy in in my life and he comes down and watches me fight. What a legend. Um, there's just one last thing I want to say is that, uh, yeah, so if you're listening, check out Jarrett's Fried on the 25th of May down in Melbourne at the Melbourne Pavilion. You know, make a weekend out of it. Fly down to Melbourne if you're not from the area, or you can watch it online. And um, I'm telling you, it's it's entertaining on a on a number of levels. You know, and uh, if you haven't listened to my first episode with Jared, go back and and check it out in uh, the THT back catalogue. You can find that episode and 187 other episodes at TerribleHappyTalks.com. If you'd like to listen on the major platform directories such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Buzzsprout, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podcast Addict, Overcast, you know, it always helps if you, you know, follow and subscribe, you get notified and stay up to date. But um, if you've listened to my last episode I did with Dennis Walker, he is an advocate and somewhat of a spokesperson for psychedelics. He has some really interesting insights and education around that topic, which is something Jarrett and I spoke a lot about today. And, uh, yeah, drop me a comment or a DM or Jarrett as well and just tell us what you think. What's your opinion? And uh, do you have any more questions? And let's get the conversation going so we can educate in a, in a safe way and um, do it in a communal way as well. That's it for me. <laughs> You, Mr. Jarrett Wilbraham, everybody. Hey, so before we kick off the podcast, I just want to talk about getting your morning kick in Belmont Coffee. Belmont is owned by skaters, barbers, traders, and musicians. They came together with the idea of creating a co-pilot that's next to you on the late night drives, early mornings on the job site, or a midday pick-me-up. Ethically sourced beans in a sustainable can and ready to go when you are. Use the code THT to score a discount at belmont.com. That's belmont, B-E-L-L-M-O-T-T dot com.